So, ciao to everybody. So, hello and welcome to Creating Greater Impact by Storifying Scientific Presentations, part two. So if you weren't with us for part one, we really encourage you to listen to part one before you listen to part two, if you're listening to this online. Uh, I'm Helen Kane, CEO of One MSL, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Cohen Tan, our friend and colleague, who is in Singapore, hence the conversation about the time differences. And um, we really enjoyed part one of storifying scientific presentations um, with Cohen, which was without doubt our most highly rated webinar to date. So congratulations, Cohen. Um, not surprising, really. And um, I'm just going to hand over to you. Um, you know that I'm going to interject and I'm going to participate and I'm going to engage with you, as will everyone else who's on the line, I'm sure. So thank you so much once again for being here with us. And the floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, buongiorno, buenos dias, good morning, good morning, ni hao. So today we are on the second session of our Storifying Scientific Presentations. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that um, I, I realize is very emergent and at the same time, very, very timely as well, because we are still in a COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, many people are talking a lot about, you know, collaborations online, collaborations over Zoom. And so how can we use storytelling to create a context for collaboration and co-discovery? And we, as, as we all know as well, that the MSL's uh, roles are evolving. And uh, maybe Helen, you'd like to share a little bit more about the evolving roles of MSLs. Oh, absolutely. So uh, thanks, Cohen. Um... Do you know, creating the context, because I know that you're going to talk about creating context in the course of this webinar, uh, we recognize and we are superbly passionate about the following fact. The MSL of old was recognized as a presenter of data, a scientific expert, a communicator of data. So presentation skills and scientific knowledge were core competencies. What I would like to suggest is that for the MSL of today to be impactful, to be effective, to create really long-lasting build uh, trusted partnerships, the MSL of today needs to engage in scientific dialogue. So the secret is in the word dialogue, a two-way conversation. So how do we set up dialogue? How do we maintain interest, we have to create interest in the first place. So we cannot expect to maintain interest unless we create interest. And so with that in mind, I think, Cohen, back to you. Sorry, so just before we go on, uh, uh, just looking at the people that are attending, <clears throat> we've got two colleagues who are working as research scientists currently, um, so not MSLs at all, which I think from the, the context of this, uh, webinar is is fantastic. So so welcome to those two. Thank you, thank you. So hi Adam, hi Monica, hi Gaetano, and so I'm just going to do a very quick ch uh, check in because I know it's early in the morning for many of you, and I just want to do a quick check in so that we are present. 
So if you could, please write in the chat box your name and a word that you describe yourself with. What prompted you to attend this webinar? What do you want to learn about storytelling in this webinar? Why is that important to you? And what might have stopped you from being successful in storytelling previously? I know it's five questions. It's a lot of questions to be throwing at you in the morning. But later you'll find out the reasons why I'm asking you these questions. So if you could just uh, quickly type it out in a chat box or type it in, in, a, in a notepad or Word document and just transfer into the chat box. Uh, we've learned that stories give data lakes. So if you haven't seen webinar one, where have you been? Uh, go back and watch webinar one. Um, you, you have learned that stories give data lakes because when data is dressed in stories, they travel further and wider and they, have, they are more sticky, they are more persuasive. And I shared the story of Dr. Ignaz Semmelweis. And I also shared that decision-making is not just a logical process as found by Dr. Antonio Damasio, who found that patients with damage to the prefrontal cortex struggle to make basic decisions. So they cannot decide if they are going to buy, they're going to eat bread or they're going to eat cereals or oats for breakfast. And uh, stories also help to grab attention and keep it. So that is what we have learned on webinar one. Now let's talk about the role of MSLs again. So I was talking to a lot of MSLs and uh, they've shared with me that they feel almost sometimes a little overwhelmed by the sheer amount of information out there. And they feel this need to engage KOLs on the intellectual and scientific level only. But I say to you that in today's world of infobicity and information overload, the battle of intelligence is an unrewarding one. It is like a positional arms race. And the question here is who has more information and whose information is more correct than the other person's information? So I'm gonna to present to you a different context, a different perspective and a different frame of reference with regards to conversations and dialogues. And I'm going to present to you that a collaborative approach is a more effective one. And what do I mean by collaborative approach? It's leaving sufficient space for people to participate. And there's a whole science of participation that is, is a different field altogether that you can go and read about it, study about it. But I would just like to share with you that when you're talking to really highly qualified people, really highly intelligent people, you wanna create space for them to participate. But you don't just wanna create all kinds of space because as I shared earlier on, you wanna set the context. So I'm gonna share with you what we have known so far about storytelling. And here is when I like to set a high bar for myself. I always like to set a high bar for myself. I believe that when people walk into a, a training or a talk or a room with a healthy sense of skepticism, they will be more rewarded at the end when they learn something new or where they have their own perspective changed 
it's more rewarding than to walk in with a fixed mindset and to continue to hold on to that fixed mindset. It's also more rewarding than walking into a room feeling like I don't know anything at all and I'm a complete idiot and I'm just here to be, to be filled with information. I'd like you to hold a very, very healthy sense of skepticism. Kendall Haven, who wrote a book called Story Proof back in 2009, is a book that I'll highly suggest that you get your hands on, especially if you're scientific, scientific you're a scientist, and you want to get the scientific evidence. So he found that, that he has studied neuroscience, he's combined neuroscience with storytelling, and he found that stories are critically important for human beings. And here's where this healthy skepticism come in. When we are adults, we cannot pretend that nah, stories are for children, stories are not important. But we are susceptible to stories, of course we are. When people do not have a complete story, they fill in their own blanks. They invent intentions. They imply what's going to happen in the future. They start to speculate. So you, you start to realize that we are all story-making machines. And in our brain, we have a storytelling, storytelling machine. And it comes in a form of what's called a neural story net which is the part of the brain that holds the task of initially making sense of a stream of incoming visual and auditory information. So you don't believe me? I'm gonna share with you more. So if we already know that about storytelling, that we are all storytelling machines, what else might we need to know or learn? What else? And if you think about this word, what else? And I put it in capital letters, it's because it's a magical word. It's a magical word. If you want to ask great questions, if you want to ask, you want to engage KOLs in meaningful conversations, the word what else would help you to initiate conversations and invite new insights. But here's what happened. I told you what we know so far, and I'm now asking you what else? I don't just start by going, what do we need to know? I give you some information, but not all the information. And I ask, what else? Cohen, can, yes. I, can I ask a question of you, please, at this point? No, you, know, you may not. Of course you can. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yep. So one of the things that I think we have to remember is that for many people, and, and, and you're very passionate about language, and I, I know this from, from getting to speak with you. Um, sometimes we, we, we use very, words very comfortably in English that don't necessarily translate well into other languages. So, for those people who are on the call for whom English is not a first language, so you know who you are and we know who you are, is this a word that readily translates for you in your own mother tongue? So I, ho I, hope, so I hope you don't mind me asking that question, Cohen, because I just think it's important to think how we would frame that within our own language. 
for certain, for certain, it's not just a matter of language, but it's a, it's a matter of, um, later you ex I'll explain to you why. It's a matter of psychologically, when people know something, they, their brains want to go on the same track, which is why comedians, they use what we call the power of three. They set an expectation and they break your expectation. And when they break your expectation, they create surprise. They create humor. They create engagement. So our brains are guessing machines. We are constantly looking to guess. But devoid of any information, we have absolutely no context to guess. But the moment we have some information, but not complete information, there is where our brain goes into engagement level. We are engaged. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. Yep. So I'm not hearing from anyone in chat to say that this doesn't work for them. So that's that's great. That's very reassuring for me. So carry on, please. For certain, for certain, it's more of a mindset here that we are setting, laying the table. So mm -hmm. what else might we need to know? So in previous sessions, we have talked about people being hooked on crime scene investigations, shows like that, and also documentaries. Why are they so engaging? Because they engage in storytelling, yes. But the question is, what about the storytelling techniques here that makes it so engaging? We are going deeper dive than webinar one, aren't we? And that's what I promise. So what makes this story so engaging is because they create a context. Imagine this, if you go to a crime, if you watch a crime scene investigation, the opening scene transports you right smack into the middle of the context. You are transported. This is what we call the law of transportation of stories. You're transported. Your brain, your mind, your curiosity, the word that Eleni used, I think was it Eleni, yes. It's, your curiosity is hooked and transported right into the scene itself. And so storytelling fulfills the first function of context setting. Storytelling fulfills the context of context setting. And so I'm gonna show you a very important concept. I'm not suggesting it's time for a coffee break, but if you haven't had your morning coffee, it's a good idea to have one right now. Grab one and enjoy this webinar. I show you this picture for a different reason. Very often when we walk into a presentation or a conversation, we are ultra focused on the content. The content is what you put into a context. And here is where things get really interesting because stories frame the context. And earlier on, I told you about the fact that you want to engage people in a collaborative conversation, but you also want to provide a context for that conversation. Because a conversation without context, what happens? It goes all over the place. So context is important. So however you like your coffee and this wonderful looking coffee over here, if the context is not tight enough, what's going to happen? The coffee is going to flow out and you're gonna create a big mess like that. And this is a classic example of how if a context is not 
strong enough or large enough, it overflows. The conversation goes in different directions. The conversation doesn't have a focal point. And let's not even go on about the beautiful, I mean, the beauty and the aesthetic nature of a coffee like that, which you typically buy in a cafe for five US dollars, or a coffee you just get off the dispenser for one US dollar. So here's the thing, context is very, very important in storytelling. Context is very important in storytelling. Okay, I've, I've spoken long enough. So I want you to pay attention. I hope you really grabbed your coffee. I hope you got your coffee this morning because I need you to pay attention to the story, okay? Are you ready? Sally let loose a team of rats. The plan backfired when a dog chased them away. She then threw a party, but the guests failed to bring their motorcycles. Furthermore, her stereo system wasn't loud enough. She spent the next day looking for an obnoxiously loud squawking parrot, but was unable to find one in the yellow pages. Nonstop sales call gave her some hope until the number was changed. It was an installation of a blinking neon light across the street that finally did the trick. Sally framed the ad for the light from the classified section and now it has it hanging on a hole. Wow, I'm so proud of my own story, man. It's like, do you get it? Do you get the story? I, I don't know if you get a story, man. It's like, I don't know if, why don't you get a story? If you look at this, this statements here, it's just like a series of random information, right? Like what's, where's the story? So how often in our, in our presentations, especially when we are busy people and we don't have the time to give a good presentation, what we do is we grab whatever information we have. Oh, last week I gave a presentation here and I gave a presentation to the other hospital. I'm just gonna combine the slides, put them all together and go and meet Dr. X. And what's gonna happen, we have a series of random information. Where's the story? Let's change things up a little, shall we? Now let's, let's imagine that Sally hates the woman who moved in next door and she wants to drive her out. Now she let her loose a team of rats. The plan backfired when the dog chased them away. She then threw a party, but the guests failed to bring their motorcycles. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, her stereo wasn't loud enough. She spent the next day looking for an obnoxiously loud squawking parrot. I don't know why she do that. She was unable to find one. She made non-stop sales call, but she, oh, she had some hope until the number was changed. It was an installation of beyond, uh, blinking neon lights across the street that finally did the tricks and she framed the ad for the lights from the classified section and now has it hanging on her wall. Do you get this story? What have I done here? I have given you one line that changed the entire story. Now you do. Context, yes. Now Sally has a goal. This character in this story has a goal. So the neurophysicist Montague says remarkably the single property that all biological and mechanical computational system requires is goal. If you talk to, let's, let's do a different field. If you go and talk to a, software engineer and they're going to write a line of code. How do they program software? 
goals. They write a line of code to perform a certain objective or a certain goal. And so very often when we are presenting information, we forget what is the goal of it all. When there's no goals, there's no story. Owen, do you think there's also a risk that sometimes we, we understand the story in our head, but we forget to create the context for the person that we're communicating with? Because you know, lo lots of random facts relating to a particular data set, in our head, we've already sorted them out, so we've made sense of them. But the risk is we're not helping the other person. So I think, I think we need to challenge ourselves before any interaction. Absolutely. This is called uh, the curse of knowledge. When you know something so well that you have forgotten what it feels like not to have that piece of information. So yeah. you're sort of cursed by your own knowledge. And that happens a lot, right? Which is why when we tell stories, we, wanna, we are not here to tell a story of a person A or person B, but really creating a non-stop narrative, creating an ongoing narrative. You notice how I started today's workshop. I said previously on webinar one, so what I did was what I called call a callback. I've called back to what we have discussed in webinar, excuse me, webinar one, and I am continuing that narrative of how we can bring stories format and story structure subtly, as Greg says, into our presentations. So can I, may I just build then on what, on what both yourself and Kevin have just said? Um, so bear with me, Cohen, because there's quite a lot of stuff in my brain that I'm going to have to try and execute through my mouth. So the first thing is that when we are training MSLs around impactful scientific engagement, which we believe is fundamental so unless you understand what truly impactful scientific engagement looks like and sounds like, then you will revert, coming back to the context that we started with, you will revert to being transactional. So we often talk about Stephen Covey and his quote, starting with the end in mind. So what is it? By the end of this meeting, what is it that I would like to have shared? What is it that we might have explored? And that then, in order for us to be successful in that execution, we need to plan. So planning is critical to the telling of your story. And it's not enough, as Kevin said, just to think in your head, I'm going to go in and I'm going to share this data because what we then start to do is we make assumptions. We make assumptions about what we believe people may know, what they may think about our data. We tend to see the world through the eyes of our organizations. So what we fail to do is we fail to stand in the shoes of the person we're telling the story to. Because I can tell you the story from my perspective, but unless I'm checking in with you to see if the story is really connecting with you and your world, and your clinical reality, your patient reality, then I'm back to being transactional because I'm not seeking to understand if we are aligned. 
And one of the ways that we can do this, particularly as MSLs, is to think in our planning about the last time we engaged with that physician. What happened? What did we learn? What did they tell us? What was their reality? Because for many MSLs, Cohen, it may be that they only are able to engage with physicians two, three times a year maximum. And what is happening for those physicians in between all of those months? What has happened in their world? So, yes, we had a really powerful discussion, but actually what has changed in your world since that last discussion? And how does that affect what we're going to talk about today? So there is so much that we need to consider when we are thinking about our context and about how we create the story so that we move from being transactional to engaging for mutual benefit. Here endeth the lesson, Cohen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, to summarize uh, what Kelly just said is key element number one, effective context setting is framing the goal. Like, we, we might have rehearsed this. <laughs> I, have to, I have to share with every one of you that we have absolutely not rehearsed this. But, uh, but here's the thing. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it? Um, framing the goal is so important because, like you mentioned, if you haven't spoken to um, a KOL for, you know, for a few months, and we are in a very fast-moving context, and things may have changed, priorities may have changed, um, information may have changed. And so what we are actually doing right now is framing the goal or resetting the goal. So for example, if you walk into a story and say, hey, previously, as we discussed, blah, blah, blah. And if the KOL says, no, 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 things have changed. And now it gives you then the opportunity to say, okay, let's now go back to the drawing board and see how do we need to frame or reframe the goal. And it is hypercritical that we do this as part of a story because whose stories are people most invested in? Their own. People are invested in their own stories. So here is where we as um, MSLs could have this opportunity to be interested more than wanting to be interesting, right? Because being interested makes you an interesting person. Because now if you're interested in them and you reset the goal and then you can set the stage for a more meaningful conversation going, up, going forward, it's going to be a better use of your time. And now the person is all ears because you have heard a person, the person knows that you're on the same song sheet, you're on the same path. So Effective element number one is framing the goal. So let's say, let's say, let's do another story, right? Uh, he went to the store. I'm just using some simple examples because I know it's, I don't want to be overcomplicating things, but you'll see why I use these examples. He went to the store to get some milk. Is the story interesting? Please type in the box. Is it interesting? Why is it not interesting? That's a clear goal, isn't it? He goes to the store to get some milk but something's missing. The question is why? Why does he go to the store to get some milk? So let, let me give you some, um, some possible storylines and you tell me which one is better, okay? Because he likes a particular brand of milk and it's on discount today. 
makes perfect logical sense. Or because the milk will keep his dying son alive until the doctor arrives. Which version of the story is more interesting for you? Please type in the chat box, one or two. As an aside, this, there is a whole industry of people who are writing this in Netflix. This is what's called a premise. The premise of a story makes you want to choose one, one show to watch on a Saturday afternoon over the other show. And it's all based on a simple executive summary you read, either on Netflix or you're watching a movie on a plane. Right, so for most of you, I see that you're gone for two. Absolutely, so why two? Because the stakes are higher. And here is where storytelling gives you that flexibility to raise the stakes. So you do not just want to have a goal, you want to have the stakes. When the stakes are higher, it's almost like you have created a sense of urgency. You have created engagement. Now you have the attention of the person by raising the stakes. So I've shared with you, frame the goal, raise the stakes. My questions to you now is this, how might you frame the context for each conversation? I would like you to generate at least one or two ideas, two or three ideas of how you might frame the context of each, each conversation in story format. I've given you one already. You can start by saying previously in our meeting, previously in our discussions, we discussed this. Now straight away, you have enrolled the person in a narrative, in an ongoing story, because the person is brought back to what was previously discussed and the person is now transported also to the present moment. And this, by the way, is ultra critical if you are engaging with a person on Zoom. Transporting a person into a context is ultra critical on Zoom. If you're on Zoom, the person could be multitasking. The person could be having 20 windows open on their, on their computers. And if you don't transport them into a context and you don't raise the stake for them, you don't have a chance to capture their attention and get them to participate. When we last spoke, so that's one way of framing the context. Or another way of framing the context is to frame the challenge that was discussed. When we last spoke, you shared that you have this particular challenge. When we last spoke, you shared that you were working on X, Y, Z. Now you have transported the person into the context, isn't it? And like I said, they are interested in their own stories. And once you have done that, you can then pour, you have set the context in which to pour in your content. You can say, well, I have something interesting to share today that would or might help you in that pursuit, in that particular goal, right? So you could set, frame the context that way. You could also set the question now, the second question for you is how might we set the goal for each conversation? And many people run the risk or they, they, they make the mistake of going, the agenda for our presentation today is blah, 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 blah. Let me just ask you a question, everyone. I'm just be honest, right? Put your hands on your heart and just be really honest with me. How many of you wakes up every morning really excited about the agenda for the day? I know, you, I know you love your jobs, I know that, but the word agenda just doesn't make you excited, does it? The thing is this, 
if you were to set a goal for the conversation, you do not just want to set the agenda. You want to say, what we're really trying to do here today is we're trying to be going for this. By the end of today, we want to be able to get this. We want to be able to discuss this. We want to be able to go through this. We want to be able to get, get glean some insights about this. We want to make some progress about X, Y, Z. I know you're, you're probably scribbling notes right now and you're like, Cohen, slow down, slow down. Yeah, I'm throwing a lot of stuff at you right now. But it's really powerful, isn't it, in storytelling because people are interested in their own story. They have a storytelling machine in their own heads. And when you share what you're going to say is we're going to progress in today's meeting, this one hour together, we're going to this, we're going to that. You create an expectation for people. And this is what is called a self-fulfilling prophecy. When people have an expectation about something, they know where they are going. And you, how might you then raise the stakes and make it apparent for the stakeholder? You might ask questions like, why might you want to get there? What would happen if we do it? What might happen if we don't make any progress on project XYZ? I think I think what's very important for MSLs at the moment, Cohen, so is <clears throat> so so we talk a lot about building trust. And and we use something called the trust quotient. I don't know if you if you're familiar with it. But the trust quotient is a combination of credibility, reliability and empathy divided by our level of self-interest. And actually, in this current environment, it's really important that um, that, that we, we don't just seek to demonstrate credibility through our knowledge or showing up you know, we're reliable, but that we, we show empathy through our language. So seeking to understand what may be going on for our physicians and their patients during what is an unprecedented time. So I think that um, if we ask, if we create the context in the way that you are suggesting um, and the tips that you're giving us, then what we're reducing is our level of personal self-interest. And it's much more about, as you say, about the other party so that they feel valued. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what I'm also um, suggesting, if you haven't read between the lines, is a very clever pivot from the idea of being very content-focused to being very, very empathetic, being very, very context focused. Because especially when you're, in, I was having a conversation with Helen and uh, with Kevin before I got on today, and they shared that many of you have feedback that conversations over Zoom is really, it's really different from what it used to be, right? And uh, when we are speaking to people, um, virtually we cannot we are not in the same space as a person we may see the person's face and hear the person's voice but it's just it just loses something it just loses something very important and so i think it's very important to really what i call do a check-in and when we demonstrate empathy for people's context and we speak we tell a story we don't tell a story about we frame the conversation as a story from their ongoing context, it makes them feel 
seen, heard, understood, and secure. Because people are more confident in their own context than where you come from. Because the last thing you want to do is get on a call and dump a bunch of information to people. Yeah, well, so, so here's my here's my challenge, and and it's an ask, really. It's not necessarily a challenge. And Kevin, I, I think you you might guess where I'm going to go with this. So a lot of what we do, Cohen, as well, is about having is is about using our EQ. So IQ plus EQ equals credibility. So if I am emotionally self-aware and I understand my own personal preference for engaging, which I, which you probably guessed is very much on the feeling side. So I'm very green um, as an individual. And I'm genuinely really interested in what's going on for the other person, where they are. So that idea of being interested makes you interesting. That is very natural for me. That's not necessarily very natural for MSLs or uh, who, who perhaps sit on the, 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 the blue, you know, that they're more of the thinking uh, preference. And, and I realize it's not one color in dominance. So, so from us as a, being self-aware, we may struggle with that as an approach. But equally, if I'm engaging with you and you are sitting on the red side of the spectrum and you want me to be brief be done be gone how do I then apply this technique in that scenario that's a very very good uh, question um, I have really given um, presentations before that um, uh, if you go back to watch webinar one I did talk about the three-part story and um, really the purpose here is not to really um, have a conversation about what you like to do you know, uh, whether the weather is good right now and whether we should be going fishing. And I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that's more for a more relational kind of an approach. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking to people who are red, you still want to use a storytelling approach. And the storytelling is kind of like uh, on a three-part three, three part storytelling approach, right? Or for example, what we know so far, what, we, what else do we need to know? What else have we found? And what else do we need moving forward? So you, you're, you're there and you're gone in a very okay. short space of time. Got but you. Okay, thank if you. you. Notice, if you notice the entire frame, the entire structure of the conversation is still very, very, very much in the frame in the story. And, and I think, I, I, so I think what Helen just said was really important. And I like to think about it in terms of you don't create one context, you create the context on the, the basis of the person that you are interacting with. So it's all very well to think this story means, but actually we, we've got to think about what this story might mean to the person that we're going to talk about. So we, we have a context for them. It's not our context that's important. Am I right in that, Cohen? Absolutely, which is why I say storifying scientific conversations. I didn't say storytelling. Because storytelling focuses on storytelling. It focuses on tell. And I believe I am a firm believer that, that the telling approach to, to life is not going to be so useful in future. Especially now when we are talking about a lot of um, KOLs that we are talking to now, they are millennials. And a, a very telling kind of approach may not really work 
with them as well. So I am firmly, um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when we are talking about setting context and when we're storifying, we are being empathetic and we are being open to whatever context comes up. Like I said, you may have your own context, but when you go and talk to someone you haven't spoken to for four to five months, and you say, previously we discussed this, and a person say, no, 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 things have changed. And you have to very, very quickly code switch and go along with that particular context and not to say, well, 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 okay, fine. You Things have changed, but I have prepared my slide deck today, so I'm just gonna present it anyway. And that's gonna create a, a scenario where like the earlier example, the very simple example I gave you about the, the, the person, a, a bunch of random information that doesn't meet the goals, a bunch of random information that is not hung together or strung together by a particular goal. Can I do, can I do a little experiment or can I do, can, can I do something with our group, Cohen? Oh, sure, so, for sure. So I would like, so, so I'd like people who are on the line, so whether you're an MSL or you're in research or whoever it is that's on the line, if you find yourself in that situation, so you're going to see someone and you, you relate back to the last time that you met and they say things have changed. What I'd like you to tell us in chat is what might the next words that you use be? What would instinctively, what would you say at this point in the conversation? So tell us in chat what it is that you would say. How have things changed? Tell me, tell more. me more. Love Storytelling. it. Storytelling. When people start telling more, Keith, are you sure? You're inviting them to tell their stories now, right? How can I help in the new situation? Really good. nice. Okay, so what has changed? Let's discuss. Great. So, so we talk here about clarifying. So at this point, Cohen, what we really, in order for us to move forward, we need to so, so tell us. Yeah, I'll invite them to speak. So tell us to help us understand what has changed so that we can then work forward how to move together. And exactly that particular sentence you just said is what I mean by setting the goal for the conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially if things have changed and things have taken a turn for the better in a good way or mm -hmm. taken a turn for the worse in not a good way, the stakes have just, has just risen. So yeah. that's a great question you asked there, Callan. And I'm going to share with you a further the, the number three element, okay? And previously, we talked about how surprise captures attention and curiosity maintains attention. But we haven't really discussed a lot about how do you keep curiosity? How do you keep curiosity? Can you just type in the chat, what, what are some ways you can keep people curious and engaged in a conversation? Ask questions to keep them engaged, provide open-ended statements. Christian, yep, yep, good ideas, good ideas. These are all great ideas. You may want to copy and paste that into a Word document but I have a better idea. Name the obstacles. Name the obstacles. And I, I'm i going to, first of all, talk about uh, um, widen the scope to outside of a scientific field and to share with you examples of how obstacles have traditionally brought people together, right? And um, I know that, you know, I recently read a very 
very fascinating piece that during crisis, communities come together. So you know what happened with um, Hurricane Katrina back in New Orleans, and it has caused tremendous damage, damages in uh, New Orleans. And uh, even to today, as we speak, um, several parts of New Orleans have not recovered yet. But what anthropologists have found is that it has actually brought people from New Orleans closer together. So obstacles bring people closer together. And this is a classic line that several football managers or soccer managers or sports managers use, don't they? You know, in, in, in modern day sports and modern day media relations, you create a common enemy. You create a sense of a siege mentality. Nothing unites two enemies more than having a common enemy together. So that's the storytelling high level dramatic effect of it. But let's now bring it into a scientific situation. Science exists to solve problems, don't they? There's a problem, there's a challenge, there's a goal, and there's something at stake that makes companies and governments invest big money at it, right? And obstacles are what keep people going. If you watch a movie and a hero has successfully defeated all the enemies and all of the obstacles, end of story, roll the credits. But we exist to solve obstacles. And the key element in storytelling is to name the obstacles. He who names the obstacles claims ownership about resolving these obstacles. And when you do that, you align yourself. And so now it's no longer you talking to somebody else. It's two of you standing side by side and looking at the obstacle. And then we can now start asking open-ended questions that Christian said. We can ask questions that Gaetano said and we can then, we don't even need to hold the punchlines because obstacles keep people engaged. Just think about this. Let me ask you a question. Who is more motivated to solve a 1,000-piece jigsaw puzzle? A, a one, a person who has, play, who has placed 150 pieces together, or two, a person who has placed 880 pieces together. If a person has only placed 150 pieces, shouldn't the person be more motivated? The task looks bigger if you've only done 150. Exactly. Exactly. The task looks bigger and Gaetano says has committed already. And this is what psychologists call the fallacy of the sunk cost. When you have invested a lot and committed a lot of resources, uh, committed a lot of effort and time into something, you are more committed to complete the jigsaw puzzle. So here's the thing. Remember I started early on by saying, what have we known already and what else might we need to know? It is a, it's a very clever sleight of mouth way to create obstacles, isn't it? If we have known everything we need to know already, then why are we still having this conversation? We are having this conversation because there are still obstacles that lie ahead. Even if the obstacles is in the, in the form of 120 more pieces, now the person is motivated. Now the person has an obstacle to navigate. Now, 
together, you may start asking open-ended questions, as Christian said. Together, now you may ask questions like, what else might we need to know? What is missing that if present will transform the situation? I will speak slow. I'll just type it out for you. This is a great, great question. This is a great question that I've learned from one of the top coaches in the world. He's a Navy SEAL coach, leadership coach. He said, what is missing here that if present will transform the situation? And you can ask other questions like, what is in the way? What might we need to overcome? What other information do we need? And these are questions, are fantastic questions that lead to insight. And you see how I'm doing, I'm doing a lot of um, story excavation, more than storytelling. You don't walk into a conversation saying, I'm going to tell you this story, hear this. Your, your KOL didn't come, didn't sign up for a theatric performance. Your KOL didn't sign up to be told. Your KOL signed up for an engaging two-directional conversation. And so if you have this idea of excavating story, then you'll be asking tremendous questions based on what I just shared with you today. So I'm going to move further into some more questions that you can ask to pave a way. What do we know? What have we discovered? What else do we know, need to know, but do not yet know? Did we miss anything in our earlier findings? Are there any assumptions that we need to check? What new insights might emerge that facilitate further breakthrough? So these are some questions that you want to have in your back pocket. And this is number three. This is, these are questions if you realize, are putting obstacles on that journey towards your goals. And the bigger the obstacles, the higher the stakes. And you're actually playing on the fact that intelligent people do not like the feeling of not knowing something. It creates curiosity. It creates ongoing engagement. It is an itch that they want to scratch. You don't hold any punchlines. You just ask great questions. Although if you love punchlines and you love comedy and go for it. And so let's just cycle back to the, the start of today's workshop when I asked you to design this, the design this workshop. Remember these questions I asked you? The name and a word that describe you as a character and traits. I would cover this in more details on workshop three, which is called the anatomy of engaging stories. What prompted you is what we call triggers. And it's also part of the anatomy of great stories. If you talk about stories, stories are all about a series of ongoing triggers. But today, while well, we talked about goal, we've talked about stake, and we have talked about obstacles. Did you realize that these three questions, are, uh, the, the last three questions I've been asking you is to create a goal for you, a stake for you, and obstacles for you so that you are engaged in this workshop. If I haven't set this up at the start of today, I might not have stood a chance. All the other exciting stuff they might be doing, right, Adam? All the other exciting stuff they might be doing, Gaetano, you're in Valencia. There's so many other places you can be. But if I don't engage you, I don't put you into a context, I don't stand a chance. And so I eat my own cooking and I drink my own Kool-Aid. I don't just teach you what I don't do myself. So, grazie mille, 
Muchas gracias, everyone. Thank you very much. This part of a three-part series on webinar one, if you missed it, go and watch it. Creating Greater Impact by Storyfying Scientific Presentation. Story two, today we're talking about enrolling stakeholders in code discovery through storytelling. And um, on webinar three, and I will see you soon. You, uh, the dates will be out very, very quickly. Thank you so much, Cohen, on, on behalf of, um of the one MSL team. We really appreciate your time and I, I speak on behalf of everyone. Yeah, that was so engaging and, and really quite inspirational. So thank you so much and uh, enjoy your weekend. Thank you, Thanks, Hello, Kevin. Thank, thank you. you everyone, everyone on the line. Thank you for your engagement and your participation. We'll see you, you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao, ciao.